When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and tennis pro, but only in Wii Sports. I'm also a big history nerd, and I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. So each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you. Let's begin. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Today, we're gonna talk about one of the biggest moments in history for women athletes. The day tennis star Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs and won the Battle of the Sexes. That happened on September 20th, 1973. But first, let's backtrack. Billie Jean King grew up in California, and though she started off as a softball player, when she was 11, her parents convinced her to get into tennis because it was more ladylike. Ladylike or not, King absolutely shredded on the court. She was so good that as a young teen, when her pastor asked her what she wanted to do with her life, she told him, Reverend, I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. And she wasn't far off. She turned pro in 1959 and made her Grand Slam debut at 15 years old. And though she got knocked out in the first round, she kept climbing in the ranks and other tournaments and championships. She made it to Wimbledon by the time she was 17 in 1961, and she won the women's double title, becoming the youngest pair alongside her partner to do so. In 1966, King won her first major singles title at Wimbledon and achieved her childhood goal of becoming the best tennis player by being ranked nationally. She won at Wimbledon again in 1966 and 1967 and started racking up U.S. and Australian Open titles and Athlete of the Year headlines. She was so good that in 1972, she won the U.S. Open, French Open, and Wimbledon. By 1972, King was one of the best athletes in the country, but she wasn't compensated for it as much as she should have been. At the time, women athletes weren't paid nearly as well as men. And though King earned the distinction of being the first woman to earn more than $100,000 in prize money, it was because she won so many titles, not because she was being paid fairly. In fact, when she won the US Open in 1972, she was paid $15,000 less in prize money than Elie Nastase, who was the men's championship. Considering the national women's soccer team's multi-year quest for equal pay, things have not changed much since. And if you ask me, it's about damn time. King was an activist as well as an athlete, and she believed strongly that women athletes deserve to earn as much as men. She routinely criticized the industry for failing to compensate women athletes fairly, and after she took home less money than Nastase in 1972, she publicly announced that she would not participate in the U.S. Open in 1973 if there was no gender pay equality. The United States Tennis Association listened to her, and that year, winners took home the same prize money regardless of gender. 
Enter Bobby Riggs. In the 1940s, Riggs was a top-rated tennis player and a self-proclaimed misogynist. In 1973, when King was at the top of her game, Riggs claimed that women weren't as good at tennis as men and bragged that even at 55, he could outplay any top-seeded woman. Riggs decided to put his money where his mouth was and reached out to King to see if she would challenge him. And initially, King turned him down. She was spearheading a women's tennis tour sponsored by a cigarette company, this was the 1970s, remember, and had more important things to do than deal with some man and his ego trip. Riggs ended up challenging Margaret Court, ranked the number one woman player in the world, and played a match against her in May, and she lost in a landslide. As I'm sure you can imagine, beating Court, who was only 30, just exploded Riggs' ego. He landed on the cover of Sports Illustrated and continued to try to goad women players into challenging him. When the match got bumped up to a nationally televised event on ABC, held at the Houston Astrodome with a $100,000 prize, King finally relented. The battle of the sexes was on. On the day of the match, King showed up Cleopatra style on a chariot carried by four men. Riggs followed the theme, entering the match on a rickshaw pulled by four models. 90 million people tuned in to watch the match, with famed sportscaster Howard Caselli providing commentary. Blessedly, Riggs didn't get the ego boost he was looking for. King creamed him, beating him six to four, six to three, and six to three again. And though some critics rudely claim that Riggs only lost to King because of their age difference, or that Riggs lost on purpose, the match's end result lent more credibility to women's sports. As King said of the match years later, I thought it would set us back 50 years if I didn't win that match. I would ruin the women's tour and affect all of women's self-esteem. To this day, King is regarded as one of the best athletes of all time, and not just one of the best women athletes. And the Battle of the Sexes has cemented its place in history. There was even a Battle of the Sexes movie that came out in 2017, starring Emma Stone as King and Steve Carell as Riggs. But most of all, it proved this obvious fact, never underestimate a woman's strength. And now, here's a fun music fact from September 20th. On this date in 1969, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and Paul McCartney had a meeting at the Apple headquarters in London. Lennon broke up with his band. I want a divorce, he told them. The group's over. Yoko Ono was there, though George Harrison was visiting his mom, and missed the meeting. As Lennon and Ono left, he reportedly told her, it's just you and me now. And that was the end of the Beatles. And now it's time for our final segment of today's show. I go into my personal photo archives and see what I was up to on a September 20th in my life. So I made a mistake. I have to be honest with you. I made a mistake last episode. I told you that I played in Vancouver. I did a concert on September 19th in Canada. That was a lie. It was actually September 20th. So I messed up on my dates. Um, but... It was a really interesting venue, so I figure today I'll tell you a little bit about that. On September 20th, 2019, I played at a venue called the Rio Theater, and it's in Vancouver, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a movie theater, and I have never played a show in a movie theater before. That was the first time, and it is a very interesting experience to walk in, play your show, and then have to wrap everything up because they have a showing right after the end is over. <laughs> So I would say the most notable thing that happened on a September 20th in my life is that I played a concert 
inside of a movie theater. And I don't know how often somebody gets to say that they do that. So it's pretty cool. And that wraps up this episode of 365 Days with MXM Tune. Thank you all again for taking the time to listen and dive into history with me. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Thanks for listening to today's episode of 365 Days with MXM Tune. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow along with us on social media at 365 Days MXM Tune on all platforms.